If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family. I'm not family. No. Your cargo. Why are you so important? Somewhere out west. They're working on a cure. I think what really impressed them was the fact that I didn't turn into a monster. If she so much as twitches. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> on the best way west? Yeah, go east. If you come this far, then you know it's out there. You're not gonna scare us. You scared him? You have a greater purpose than any of us could have ever imagined. Careful who you put your faith in. It might not be her father, but you're someone's. You trust me? This year we'll be looking at various series and talent that find themselves in the Emmy race, and in today's episode we'll explore HBO's The Last of Us. Earlier this year, Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann debuted their series based on the PlayStation game of the same name. In the story, a pandemic has destroyed the world as we know it, and one survivor, Joel, played by Pedro Pascal, is asked to protect an immune teenager, Ellie, played by Bella Ramsey, who might hold the key to a cure. Joining us in this episode is editor Timothy Good, whose credits include The Umbrella Academy, Fringe, and Gossip Girl, and Emily Mendez, who started as an assistant on The Last of Us and was promoted to editor during the season. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Tim and Emily, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so so much. much. We're really, really, really happy to be talking to you. This is awesome. So, Tim, why don't we start with you? Um, How did you get involved in the project? Um, It's sort of a weird, fascinating, uh, serpentine way. Um, I was friends, sort of, with Craig Mazin for a long time through my husband. Uh, They're friends, actually. I'm just sort of the husband. Um, and, uh, so they're writer friends and every so often Craig and his wife would come over to our house and we would have sort of silly little dinner parties, um, uh, where we would make seventies food and dare everyone to eat it. Um, and, and one of these dinner parties, Craig said, you know, I just made this show called Chernobyl and it's about the Chernobyl disaster. And I, can I show you guys like a little trailer of it? And we're like, Yeah. And so he shows us the trailer, and we've all known him as this guy who does comedy uh, writing. He's a genius uh, comedian, super funny. And we see this, and we're like, oh, my God, you're not doing comedy anymore. This is unbelievable. This is stunning. 
Um, and so at that, de- that and that night, I remember saying, if there's if, if, whatever you do next, you know, what I, I'm looking at is 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 just awesome. And I, I would love to do anything possible with you ever. Um, and he goes, oh, let's see if it, if it can happen. A few years later, uh, when we were trying to, when they were getting the show going, uh, we tried to, to to see if I could get onto it. But I was, unfortunately, I was working on something at the time and, and they had already found their editors. Um, so I was like, well, that's unfortunate. And it, it was too bad because I really loved uh, the idea of it. And my husband told me that The Last of Us is just an incredible video game. Uh, he sometimes writes video games as well, so he was able to tell me. Um, and then uh, somehow a, an editing slot opened up and they said, can you be in Calgary in like four weeks? If so, you know, we can get you onto this. And I called Emily and I said, Emily, there's this show called The Last of Us. Have you? It's based on a video game. What do you think about it? And then. And then I said to Tim, you know, that is my favorite video game I've ever played. And we have to do it. So I was so excited. And you had uh, assisted Tim on Umbrella Academy first. Is that yeah, right? I, I was still with Tim on Umbrella Academy as his assistant. Yeah. And, and she was, you know, Emily had been working with me for a couple of years. In fact, she'd been co-editing with me for uh, some a couple of years as well. Um, I've been mentoring her for uh, three or four years at this point. And so it was. it's always been part of my sort of mantra that I always want to help assistant editors. Uh, and and see how they can become editors in their own right. So when we got this uh, job, it was sort of amazing because the first thing they gave us was episode three, which is the episode with Bill and Frank. And we were just sort of like, I read that script and I I swear to you that I've never read anything like that in my life. It was so fully realized. It was such an incredible document. It was so rich and full of sort of hope and life and love. And, 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 you know, as editors, we don't get a chance to really experience these episodes uh, fresh because we're always making them. We don't really necessarily get a, a fresh look at them. The only time we ever get that is when we read the screenplay. And so I, I, I'm really happy that when we had that opportunity to read the screenplay, we, we were able to experience that together. Um, and so that episode started this uh, an incredible process of how we became sort of Craig's go-to editors on this. And that's how we got onto it. That was one of the episodes I wanted to talk about. So um, so why don't we begin here? And for our listeners, um, I'm assuming many of you have already watched the series, but there will be some spoilers. So the episode three that you're talking about is called The Long, Long Time and tells the story of Bill, played by Nick Offering, and Frank, played by Murray Bartlett, who begin a romance during the pandemic. Would you talk about how you shaped this really emotional story over the course of just a single episode? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Um, I mean, this episode to me was just like a, it, it was a dream for me to be able to help them put this together. Um, as a gay person myself who had been through many, many years of understanding what it feels like to be in, a, in the closet as someone who is married to a an actual Bill in real life, you know, and I am a Frank type person. Um, it was sort of, it was, it was incredible to, to say, oh my gosh, I, I understand these characters deeply and I understand the dynamic between them. And I, I feel like I can really help uh, illuminate for not just uh people who are gay or in the queer community or whatnot, but for everyone uh, to be able to understand these characters and to, and to fall in love with them uh, themselves, which, you know, gratefully that's what happened. Um, And, and for me, it was, it was a, 
it was sort of a, a, a blessing of riches in terms of the performances that both uh, Murray Bartlett, which we all know Murray Bartlett, and we were all very excited about Murray Bartlett, but what we didn't anticipate was how great Nick Offerman was. Nick was just a absolute treasure in every take, and he was completely there in, in this character and vulnerable and willing to go into places that I'm, I think he said, I've never been able to find these deep places of, of emotion before. And to be able to witness this and some of these, you know, takes there were that there were sometimes very few takes because he would get them in in sort of an incredible, um, uh, efficient amount of time. And having Peter Hoare as the director who had done It's a Sin, you know, an HBO series that I absolutely love. And he also did the Umbrella Academy pilot. So I sort of work with him tangentially. Um, and I had known Peter uh, from that. And, you know, Peter has an exquisite eye and an exquisite taste level. Uh, for creating performances and creating um, a, a very simple structure which allows the performances to live. And that's what happened. And so I kept saying to Emily, like, a lot of our job here is to get out of the way um, of these performances and, and specifically the screenplay because the script is so well well done that what we have to do is we have to allow, we can't push too hard. Uh, to try and create performance as, as much as we just have to allow things that we notice, allow things that we're seeing, allow these moments of nuance between two characters who I, I recognized immediately that these two characters were, were, were giving off the codes that gay people will give each other to try and see if they're safe, if, they're, if, if everything is going to be okay, to give them the space to be themselves, all of these moments were carefully crafted by the actors, by Craig in the script, and by Peter Hoare. Uh, and for us to be able to sort of sort of hone in on those moments and make sure those lived, as opposed to a lot of times people might say, you know, we should really get through this quicker, or maybe we can get rid of all this, you know, silence. And I was like, the silence is where the story lives, because this is where they're trying to figure out who, who they are. And this is exact, and I don't feel like silence is boring at all. I find silence to be the opportunity for uh, the audience to really zone in on how a character is feeling because they don't really have to listen to anything in addition. They're just looking and experiencing the direct emotions on the faces of the characters, and they can see how each character is interacting. And so many of these sequences uh, between them had dueling point of views, which was really something we're not used to doing all that often in editing. Usually it's a scene is from one person's perspective and therefore it's sort of like all hinges around that one character. But in these scenes, it was very important to, I think, to Craig and to Peter um, and, you know, frankly to me uh, that each one has an equal participation in this. Otherwise it wouldn't have landed the sort of the longevity of their love. Um, so being able to, again, being able to put all this stuff together and think about it in, in sort of a way that was the ability to shine a light on how it feels to be this, these, these characters and to see how they can develop over time um, was just a gift. It really was. And I can't be uh, more grateful for the opportunity to have had this chance to, 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 to help make these uh, story, th this specific story do what I kind of knew it would, which was uh, help a lot of people. What was your favorite scene to cut in that episode? Oh, <laughs> for me, the very best scene is 
Oh gosh, it's sort of it's a it's a two parter because it was the two dinner table sequences for me um, because they're both echo scenes of each other. And so the first scene was it was my favorite scene because it was so detailed and nuanced in the both of their perspectives. Right. This um, is when they're first. They this first is when they're meet. first sitting down to to lunch and they're sitting at opposite ends of the table, and uh, Bill is you know overly enthusiastic to have this man in his house. And he kind of gets caught being overly enthusiastic and Frank sussed him out already. And Bill is trying to hide what he's already given up uh, in, in terms of how he feels about this, this person uh, in his, his uh, in his house. And, and there were lots of little elements in that sequence, um, little details of, and, and, and not just uh, details of like the mantelpiece being dusty. And then later in the, in the, the sort of the companion scene later, you see that the mantelpiece is now completely filled with flowers and life uh, that Frank had brought to the relationship and brought to their lives. But little details like the way that they would breathe, the way that there was a little, there was a little tiny uh, uh, sort of fear and anticipation in their breaths and making sure that those were exactly the right breaths uh, for each character um, to a, try to suss the other one out and, and also try to conceal who the other person was. And so between that sequence and then the final sequence at the dinner table where they actually go through with the poisoning, um, it was really, really, really important to me in that second sequence that it not be cut in any kind of way that was collapsing time, that was sort of propelling time, that was had any kind of thing that you would be able to sort of hold on to, to make yourself feel comfortable. There was no music, for example, this was after the montage of the wedding. Um, and so it was just, it, for me, it was really great to see every moment from Frank's perspective, understanding that even though I've asked to die in this manner, I'm still scared of it. And I watched Murray do all of these things. And I watched him have these these take these moments of like, I can't believe I'm really going to do this. Uh, but it is what I've asked him to do and he's doing it. Um, so putting those two together as companion pieces was really kind of the, the greatest uh, two sequences for me because it, it, it was the beginning and the end of their relationship. And so as a, as a sort of echo scenes of each other, I feel like those two scenes really tie um, their life uh, together in not just a, a visual way, but in an emotional way. You really developed a lot of um, really wonderful relationships during the whole series. And another one I'd love to talk about is um, in the episode Left Behind, we see in flashback Ellie's budding relationship with her friend Riley, played by Storm Reed, on the night that they are bitten by an infected and Ellie survives. What was the challenge to this episode? This is a really good uh, a good one to talk about because this is the episode where uh, Emily was promoted to co-editor, um, and it was very specific for her to be promoted in this uh, in this uh, story because it was about uh, two women who were falling in love, and I knew that Emily would understand this story as a lesbian woman better than I could, uh, and I said to Craig. And at the time, we were kind of juggling a lot. And I said, it's going to be really hard for me to do this and give it the kind of love that we've been giving all of the, these episodes. Um, it would be really great if Emily could be a part of this because she's going to understand it better than I can. And not only that, but I just feel like she has uh, shown to you over the past few months 
Uh, she had been editing scenes here and there. Uh, in episode three, for example, she had done scenes um, and he had really loved them. And she had done an amazing job with the sound, the temp sound work. And Craig was just, he was uh, very, very uh, uh, happy with all the work she had been doing. So I pitched her to do uh, this Left Behind uh, with with me. And and that is how she got into it. And so, I, Emily, I'd, I'd rather you speak about what the challenges were in this episode. The Left Behind episode is a really special one to me for many th- for many reasons. Um, first of all, I loved the Left Behind portion in the game. It was when I first played that. It was like the first time I had played a video game where I was like, "Oh my god, this is like me!" Like I, I was connecting with the character who had gone through something that I had been through, you know, growing up falling in love with your best friend. So that storyline was very special to me. And then when Tim called me and told me that they were going to let me co-edit the episode, it was actually around Christmas. And I was like, I was thinking this is the best Christmas present I could probably ever get. Uh, So once we returned from break, we started working on it. And um, it, it honestly was just the best experience because Tim and I have been working together for many, many years. And I spend as much time as I can in his room learning from him. So at the point when we started working on Left Behind, I felt very ready for it. Um, And it was just, we split it up and we were working on a bunch of different scenes and it it, it went really well, I thought. The most challenging thing, I guess, for me would be that, you know, we knew who Riley was from the game. And then we had, we were introducing this new character played by Storm Reid, who was incredible. And so we, Tim and I, as we were starting our scenes and getting our scenes in with Riley and Ellie, we were having to figure out the best balance of the dynamic between the characters of Ellie and Riley. Because to Craig and Neil, it was important that Riley matched Ellie's fire in a way. She's someone that puts, like, is equal to Ellie and um, challenges her. And so we were dealing with introducing this new character, but also incorporating this idea of falling in love with your friend while trying to not make it too obvious. So that we're dealing with all those emotions. Well, most of this of the flashback involves the two of them spending a night exploring an abandoned mall. And um, I was curious, did they do a lot of takes? Um, and how closely did you actually follow the script? Uh, I, there were, it depended on the scene. There were some scenes with lots of takes, actually. Um, for instance, I worked on the scene, the sequence where they dance on the countertops and they have their first kiss. That specific sequence had a lot of footage, uh, to go through for the dance. Um, and, but everything was, the thing about our actors is they're so fantastic. Everything is great. And it's just a matter of finding what's fitting the storyline and the script the best. Um, so Yeah. Would one of you like to talk about cutting the sequence in the arcade? The arcade, and, and, and you know, we, we actually split the arcade up a little bit. I took the, the, the majority of it, and then Emily did the second portion of the arcade. Um, but the arcade was really, it was really exciting because for one of the great reasons why I was excited about the arcade was I had grown up with this. And I was, I was very aware of all of these games, and I was very aware that these were the games that were the games that I played. Uh, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they got all these games. Um, so it was really just sort of a, it was a, a it was a real pleasure to watch. Uh, but one of the, 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 the challenges of it was it had to work in 
how the Mortal Kombat game actually functioned and how they would actually work uh, for not just the game, but for the characters and how the characters interacted while playing the game. And we already had in episode three, a little bit of a moment uh, when Ellie goes over to an old busted up Mortal Kombat video game. And she says, I, I know what this is. And, you know, my, I had a friend who knew everything about this game. And so she had already touched the sort of the, the game board at that point. And so we were careful. And I think the director, um, uh, Liza Johnson was very careful to stage it in such a way that Ellie was on the same side of the arcade uh, that Ellie was on in episode three to make sure that Ellie would absolutely go to that exact side. Um, and so the we were lucky to have been given a sequence of events in the game that they would play. And that was really nice. And we were able to track down the actual audio from the game and use all of the original sound effects, which was tremendous. Um, and Craig was very happy about one specific sound that he really, really desperately wanted. And that was this coin dropping in to this arcade game and making this ridiculous overblown bass sound of brown. And cause he's like, I remember that sound. It was terrible. It was overmodulated. It was super bassy. And I really want to, we, and, and so Michael Benavente, our sound supervisor, and his team, they went through and, and, and Craig's like, no, it has to be very specific. And they went through many, many incantations of that to make sure that that sound was exactly correct. And even on, I remember on the dub stage, we played it a little softer and Craig goes, no, 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 higher, <laughs> higher, even more so. And, and so he's like, make it really uh, sort of stand out for us. And, and, and so that sequence was, was really interesting to work with in that respect. But for me, it's always about the characters. And so I wanted to make sure that I was showing how each character was interacting with the other and having this sort of, you know, physicality, the physicality of their proximity to one another is sort of causing this physicality uh, uh, bet uh, between them, these little, little tiny little sort of bobs and weaves in, in, in a, a, a little romance. And Ellie's, you know, try, starting to ask herself, why did you bring me here? Why, why am I here? You know, and then that, that sort of takes place a little bit more in the second uh, uh, part of the episode. But in this arcade, it's like they, they have this, this, this closeness emotionally after they uh, finish the game and, and they flirt with each other in, the, in a very sort of, um, this really subtle way that, you know, gay people tend to do is they just, they do these very little things that can be interpreted in any way uh, and they can easily be canceled if necessary. It's like, oh, nope, that's not what it meant. Nope, that's not what I meant at all. Um, so that's sort of the, the thing that made the arcade sequence really fun to work on is to sort of watch. And Bella Ramsey's just a, I mean, my gosh, she, she's just a genius at this. She's she's able to sort of show these little moves and and to, you know, look up and down at a character and and in a way that just you understand exactly what she's doing. And so for uh, for I think Emily and me, um, again, finding those little tiny beats between those characters was one of the things that made those uh, the arcade sequences really fun. And would you like to also talk about that scene when they realize after the attack that they've been compromised? That they've been bitten. Yeah, that was really a tough scene. Um, I remember all of the dailies of that scene. Uh, it was heartbreaking to watch Bella Ramsey do this over and over again, to scream in pain and to cry and to basically be uh, uh, 
not just because she's been bitten, but because she's angry at herself for allowing this to happen. Um, and when they realize that, the, that they've both been bit, it was this, it, and you know, she doesn't even re- she doesn't even notice what happened. She's so thrilled that she saved her, the, the woman she is now like, she's so excited. Like we're, we're about to be in, in this uh, in a burgeoning relationship and she doesn't even notice that she's been bitten. Riley is the only, is the person who has to point it out to her. Um, and Riley's very quiet when uh, during this, and it's the contrast between how Riley understands what's happening versus Ellie's complete refusal to accept what's happening. So having that those two contrasting uh, sort of tones in the scene uh, gave Ellie that drive and that uh, desire. And and when she was smashing up all of the, uh, I mean, when she, she did two takes of that, when she smashed up all of the cabinets. She really went and did it. It was really unreal. Um, and we were just sort of, uh, we were blown away by what she was doing. Um, and it allowed, I think, the end of the episode, which Emily cut that last scene where she starts to sew Joel up. Um, that was my next question. That, yeah, it gave that sequence its power. You might as well just skip to that um, because the, I, I believe that sequence works as well as it does because we allowed Bella the the opportunity to um, have her moments of rage and to not push too hard on the moments of emotion between her and Riley. So that the emotion really truly landed when it became how Riley and and this experience gave Ellie the power to to decide that she's not going to give up on Joel because Riley told her that you can't give up on people. And and it and, and that's how she learned that is through this whole experience. So the experience of Left Behind gives the last scene all of its meaning because it it's even though Joel is telling her, get out, go, leave me, she says, No, I will not. And I refuse to to let you go. Um, in the final episode, uh, Joel and Ellie reach the Fireflies who believe that they can create a cure. But Joel learns that Ellie will die in surgery if she participates. So uh, now he has to make a choice, save Ellie or potentially save humanity. And uh, that whole last scene is so powerful because um, you really believe that this relationship between the two of them has developed to such an extent during the course of the um, the series. That was something you had to do throughout the, again, throughout all of the episodes. Would you just talk about creating that, um, that relationship between the two of them, that bond? It took some time to do. And I think the bond started in episode, sort of the very end of episode three, actually, when he says, all right, if we're going to do this, you know, here are the ground rules of what's going to happen. And he's reluctantly taking her on. And a lot of what bonds them is humor. And when Ellie brings out in the in the fourth episode her little book of puns, which comes back and left behind, and we learned how the, the book of puns comes to be um, and why it's important to her, you know, he, at the end of episode four, it was this trajectory from him not liking the puns at all to being won over and actually smiling for the very first time probably in 25 years or 20 years at that point um, uh, because he's actually taken by how she's got him. She's this girl who is an echo character of his daughter and he refuses to get close to her, you know, because he doesn't want 
to to lose anyone again in that way. He's he's vowed to himself, and that's sort of his backstory. From what I understood, was that he doesn't want to lose another uh, anyone in this way again. And and it, over time, uh, as they're traveling, and his instincts have no choice but to kick in, and seeing how she in episode uh, four fires the gun to save him and they, he would have died. This kid would have, uh, would have killed him had she not done this, had she not disobeyed him and taken the gun, even though he told her not to take the gun. And he's forced to reconcile with the fact that he shouldn't be alive because of her. So he, ha- you know, he has this sort of, it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series actually, which is when he teaches her to use the gun and he's sort of, I have, you know, she's earned it. You have earned my trust. And of course, what happens is she immediately doesn't listen to him because she never listens to him because she's her own person. And I think that is these little tiny sort of details about how they're slowly opening up to one another. And she's, of course, way more open. She wants a parental figure in her life. And he doesn't desperately does not want, you know, uh, another child. Um, he's, He's pushing her away and away and away. Um, but it's, and, and I think Craig has uh, spoken a lot about this, but it's, you know, you, as a, a, a parent, you have no choice when presented with situations sometimes, but to love and to care and to protect. Um, and I think over the course of, of the things that happened to them, and, and specifically in episode five, when we did the Sam and Henry episode, she witnesses these uh, to, uh, you know, her first friend. You know, she witnesses his death at the uh, at his brother's hand, and then he, she witnesses in in right in front of her face this guy take his own life. And Joel sees that, and and he has to basically help her uh, to come to terms with this. And so, by episode eight, at the very end, when she escapes the clutches of David, and he's basically attempted to rape her, and she has now taken this cleaver and has completely destroyed him. Um, he reaches her at the point where she needs him the most, and he does what any father would do and says, you're going to be okay, even if he if he's not sure that she is. So the beginning of episode nine begins with her in this place where he's not sure if she's going to be okay. And he's worried that all of her innocence is gone and that the light that was Ellie is no longer there. And only by seeing that giraffe and seeing her have that childlike innocence restored for even just that moment he knows that she's going to be okay and and it's almost at that point he goes oh i'm in this now i'm i'm totally in this because i was now concerned about her well-being more than i was myself and so the giraffe sequence really solidifies that relationship and it allows him to open up to her and tell him the story about uh what happened to uh, the scar on his head which he had brought up in episode three and that sequence gives them both a, a, a deeper sense of each other. And as soon as that happens, that's when they have to be separated. Uh, and and seeing what he would do to get her back at that point is why I think that last scene hurts so much. Um, because you saw what he would do to for her, but then he'll turn around <laughs> and then he'll lie to her at the very end and say, yeah, I'm lying because I'm trying to protect you. I'm love. I'm... I'm lying because I love you. And and it's such a complicated emotion. And she kind of knows, at least I believe, that she kind of knows that he's lying. And she's sort of like, I think Craig has said this too. It's like, do I 
say you're lying to me and get into a huge fight? Or do I just accept the lie right now and see where this goes? But, you know, she now knows I can't 100% trust him. Um, Those subtle if, reactions that you yeah, put into Yeah, subtle reaction. You were... just know that she's like, yeah, I, okay. Um, and I'm sorry that took so long. Um but I feel like that was the sort of the arc of their relationship and building it from the point of not wanting to talk about their histories. And he literally says, we'll keep our histories to ourselves." to the point where he tells her exactly about his history. That's, that's, you know, A, it's the brilliance of Craig Mazin designing this in the script and designing this character arc uh, and these relation the relationship arc over time. Um, but it's the also the brilliance of these two characters that they were able to understand where they were in the in in the emerging you know so this emerging you know proximity of their relationship. Even though some of the episodes were filmed out of order, they had to to sort of go. Okay, we're closer now. No, not now. We're not as close. I mean, they're just they're absolute uh, geniuses at what they did here, and I can't uh, imagine a better ending uh, at all. Well, they have announced that there is going to be a second season. Yes, we're very excited. Oh yeah. Can you share anything? I wish um, we we have no. No, we have no, we we know that there is a second season. That is what we know. Yep. Uh, we're very happy about that. Um, we could not be happier. We hope that we are absolutely involved with that. Um, I, I I can see no reason why not. But you know, we just uh, we're just happy to have been part of this first season and to again, help this incredible team uh, elucidate this uh, the story that it seems that people have been wanting for so long and to do it in a way that we we feel like we really put our whole hearts and souls into this. And Emily, uh, I know that you uh, feel really strongly about it. Do you want to say anything about what it's meant to you? I mean, it's meant so much to work on the show. Tim and I worked so hard. We, we really did put so much heart into everything we did. And I just felt like at the end of the day, the story stuck with us. And as we were working on this, we'd be saying to each other, this is so good. We love this so much. And I felt very lucky to get to work on so many of the episodes and get to work on so many different character storylines and introduce so many characters. And, um, you know, the response people have had to the show has just been amazing. And so since we care about it so much, it's been awesome. And that's why it's so exciting that there's going to be a season two to just continue the story. It's it's really something that's really, really special to us. Well, congratulations to both of you and, and, and the whole team. I mean, it, it really is a fantastic series and uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Carolyn. That was, it was so great to talk to you. <laughs> 